0: I have been part of a local authority and I totally understand the pressures that they're under in terms of funding, you know, looking at what they can fund, looking at how they can make efficiencies and you know what, I want to help so I want want local authorities to see us as a partner.
1: Welcome to the Vitalising Purpose podcast with today's guest, Rachel Law, CEO of Possibilities Community Interest Company which provides services for people with learning disabilities, people with dementia and young people leaving care. Formed in 2014, Possibilities has increased staff from 220 to more than 600 and grown its capital and reserves from zero to six million pounds. It's become a regional rather than local provider. It was formerly the adult social care provider within Rochdale Metropolitan Borough Council and was one of the first hundred social enterprises to be formed by spinning out its services. Its organisational achievements are matched by its outcomes. Possibilities has used its own surpluses to build high quality accommodation and to run numerous community initiatives and events, becoming a catalyst where it works. Rachel gives us an honest description of how she and her team overcame barriers and challenges to push the barriers of what is possible. Rachel Law, thanks ever so much for joining us on the podcast. How are you doing today?
0: I'm good, thank you. Yeah, how are you?
1: I'm really well, thank you. So as we record this, Possibilities is several years into an exciting journey. But how did you first start the social enterprise in 2014? What was the process?
0: Okay, yeah. So we were um, we were part of Rochdale Council, and um, I was head of service. And you know, I felt that my life was around making um, making efficiencies for the local authority, rather than you know making sure that people with learning disabilities had a life. And um, you know, we're delivering services for uh, vulnerable adults, people with learning disabilities, and um, and yeah, um, I was just constantly. Um, looking at efficiencies, restructuring services and it wasn't what I wanted to do. My passion was making uh, service delivery better for people and then with the introduction of personal budgets I was kind of told that um, you know our services wouldn't survive with the introduction of personal budgets that people wouldn't be able to purchase from us, we were too expensive and we talked about um, a different delivery model over and over again with the local authority looking at Um, you know, forming a a, a separate organisation. And the council valued our services. They knew that we delivered good quality services. So was really open to the idea of of doing something different. Um, So we we applied to be part of the uh, mutual support programme, which was... um, Uh, some government funding to support organisations that wanted to spin out from local authorities. And we got some funding. And uh, yeah, we, um, we left the local authority on the 1st of April 2014.
1: Brilliant. I mean, loads of people listening will be familiar with that scenario where they're passionate about the service and the outcomes that they want to create for people. And yet they're having to really focus on things that aren't their major priority. What sort of funding was available in twenty fourteen for that um, sort of spin out program? You said you got some 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 funding um, for public service mutuals. How how much was
0: that? Oh, I think it was probably around about a hundred thousand. I mean, we we had a uh, we worked with a consultant um, mutual ventures that supported the spin out, and uh, we started the the journey. I think round about June two thousand and thirteen, and by April two thousand and fourteen we were out we were out of the council, so it was quite quick, really, but I'd already sold the scene to the staff, so I'd already talked about it for several years about we can't carry on doing this. Your life must be miserable. I'm constantly putting people at risk. I'm constantly restructuring. let's do something different, and do you know what? They were really all on board. They really wanted it to happen, Hence why I think we managed to get through the process probably a little bit quicker. Um, because the staff were really on board as wow. we, as families and obviously the people we support
1: yes indeed so at the time you had around 200 220 staff who agreed yes. to take that leap of faith that journey with you but they obviously really wanted to and since then so that was 2014 that um the actual you sort of went live as possibility to CIC we're recording yeah. this in um at the start of 2023 how many staff do you have now
0: over 600.
1: That's remarkable. Um, And you've done some incredible things in terms of how you've developed from being local to Rochdale to providing services across the Northwest and in Yorkshire as well. Tell us about some of the other numbers in terms of, uh, which I think are quite remarkable in terms of the growth that you've had over the last eight, nine years.
0: Yeah, so we went. Um, our, our, we went from our turnover being um about five million when we spun out of the local authority, and it's about nineteen million now. So we have um grown quite significantly in some a real challenging sort of environment. You know, social care, as you're probably aware, has been you know uh, plagued with funding problems for the years, and now. Um, you know, we're suffering um, staffing crisis as well. So we've done um, quite well. Um, we had nothing in the bank when we spun out the local authority, no reserves, nothing. We were, we were, um, you know, we 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 was um, obviously quite worried about that, and uh, made a conscious effort to try and sort of build up our reserves to protect the business and. Uh, our reserves are standing now over over six million, and we're looking to invest that as well to make in the in the community. So we're looking at uh, building um, some uh, more apartments own front door model for people with learning disabilities so we're not you know whilst we've built our reserves that will be going into making the the services that we provide better.
1: Yes indeed and you have long invested surpluses into creating new services developing services and so on you just mentioned My Front Door tell us a little bit about that because that's quite a quite an interesting um, program and an interesting project.
0: Yeah so uh, people with learning disabilities live predominantly in, um, in a house with four or five other people, supported living model, and that model's been around for probably about um, 20 years, and it was a great model when we were moving people out of long-stay institutions. You know, people were you know were, were, were becoming part of the community, but actually people's aspirations are higher now. They don't necessarily want to live with other people. They want their own front door. They want their own apartment. They want a job, etc. So we um, we um, had a discussion with Rochdale Council, and they were very clear that they wanted some um, uh, apartments built for people with learning disabilities. So we had some land um, at the side of our head office. Uh, it's council; it was council land, and so we um, we we worked with the local authority. We got the land asset transferred to us, and we also uh, negotiated negotiated a loan with Rochdale Council through the Public Works Loan Board. Um, to to um give us some money to enable us to build some of those apartments which were we're currently paying off so yes yeah, seventeen apartments uh fabulous uh fabulous apartments and fabulous outcomes for the people that are living there right <laughs> brilliant
1: and when it came to uh, negotiating the loan for example the social investment that you secured the kind of blended finance model that you're talking about there um, did you find that um the social investment landscape was friendly to you um understood what you're trying to do and the way your finances work and the way your your income and revenue works
0: um, so not particularly so we 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 look around at, um obviously different um sort of um opportunities to borrow and um you know the the sort of interest rate return on investment really was 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 too high really for, for us hence why we approached the local authority to to see if they would uh loan us the money through the public works loan board which was really really low interest rate so of course they were getting a, a facility that they absolutely needed and we we were able to build because we, we managed to get a loan which would which would um you know was favourable to, to to us really in terms of paying off um, our, our interest? So yes, yeah, we've not. Um, unfortunately, we, we we we've looked at sort of social investment, and like I said, the returns are are, are are far too high, really.
1: So it's really a case of you know look at the outcomes that uh, a social enterprise like Possibilities is able to generate, and then um, uh. we perhaps need to adopt and adapt the social investment landscape um, to better support it, if it's going to support this kind of uh, outcome.
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you have
1: um, you've talked about the challenges in terms of entrepreneurialism rubbing up against experimenting and adapting, rubbing up against the culture in a local authority and how local authorities have to balance risk much more carefully. Can can you elaborate on on the differences in terms of culture between a social enterprise like Possibilities and a local authority, since you have experience in both?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, the local authority is a huge beast, isn't it? And you know, there's lots of yeah. uh, processes that you have to go through. You know, quite rightly, it, 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 um, to 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 get um, decisions made. And sometimes, you know, when you when you want to do um, entrepreneurial things, to get a decision takes so long that that opportunity has been missed, or somebody else is is looking at that opportunity. Um, and so, when we spun out um, and we formed the social enterprise, there was you know you know a few directors um obviously we had a board, but decision making was such swift was far swifter. If we wanted to pursue an opportunity, obviously you know we um we, we've got um you know um, business plans, project plans, et cetera that went to board, but decisions are made far quickly, and um, you're able to just look at opportunities. And mobilise um, far swiftly. So, so yeah. And of course, sometimes when local authorities is different departments, don't they don't necessarily talk to one another. So again, you know, it just um, it it just stops you from being as, as 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 swift as you'd you'd want to be. Really, when you're looking at opportunities. Um, yeah. yeah. But so that, um, the, the biggest difference really is that we we are um, much swifter when we look at when we can see opportunities. And, and that
1: leads on to a point that you've also made, which is about getting public services to use social enterprises and to use their providers who are um, they work with as their sort of innovation department.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's really something I'm really interested in. You know, I, I have been part of a local authority and I totally understand the pressures that they're under in terms of funding, you know, looking at what they can fund, looking at how they can make efficiencies. And you know what, I want to help. So I want I want local authorities to see us as a partner rather than you know some provider that's you know looking for more more funding. I mean of course we need the funding, we need to be funded properly, all social care social care does, but also we can we can look at, look with you to look where those efficiencies may lie because we are skilled at that as well. So I'm really quite passionate about local authorities seeing us as a partner rather than a potential problem.
1: Yes, indeed. And on that note, in terms of innovation, but also efficiencies as well, you've actually published something which I think had a, a very good reception. I gather ten thoughts for achieving efficiencies in social care. We can't run through all ten thoughts, but um, it was it was covered in a public service journal, um, yeah. a national magazine. Tell us a little bit about about um, that and about some of your ideas.
0: Yeah. So some of the ideas have obviously born from when. Um we um, went out when was part of the local authority. So there's some quite, I think, you know, local authorities, if they're going to make efficiencies, they have to be quite bold. I know that I'm still um, working with local authorities that are looking at, um, you know, reducing people's, you know, uh, people's budgets to try and make efficiencies. And, you know, we've we've that's been done over the years. You know, people have been reassessed and they've had the budget re- reduced and there's nothing to be taken, to be to be taken from um, people's budgets anymore. You know, people have to have a life, and that we have we have to deliver safe services and needs have to be met. So, some of the things we talked about in there is is you know, if there are some services in house, then look potentially at a different delivery model or partners, partnering up with a social enterprise. And um, you know, terms and conditions et cetera can be um, can be quite high in, in local authorities. Um social enterprise you know, they don't have the same terms and conditions, but we do offer um, different benefits and different bonuses, which um, which are just as a, sort of aspirational. We also talked um, looking at um, day services and looking at a different delivery model in terms of day services, promoting enablement and independence. So, yeah, there's lots of um, sort of tips in there to look at making efficiencies. But I think, you know, people have to be bold and they're not pain-free, um, but they do, in the, the efficiencies that I've talked about, I'm quite confident that whilst they may be painful to implement, they're going to have better outcomes for people in the longer run.
1: Right, and that's what it's all about, isn't it? Better outcomes for people. Um, yeah. When we talk about efficiencies, sometimes um, that can come at the expense of of people – but I know that you're absolutely incensed. You've actually used the word incensed by the low value placed on social care workers. And I know that it's something that uh, possibilities you are campaigning about, you're you're trying to address in terms of um, wages for people working in social care. Tell us a little bit more about your thoughts on that.
0: Also, yeah, it's I'm really passionate about this, Jamie. Um, you know, we social care staff are highly trained, highly skilled, um, working work in some um, very difficult and complex situations, and they definitely need to be paid more. and um, That needs to be recognised in the work that they do. And you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with working in supermarkets, but the level of complexity and skills that social care staff far outweigh, you know, the the work that that people do in supermarkets. You know, there's medication, there's there's a positive behaviour support when people have challenging behaviour, so you know, we, we're sort of saying that, that um, you know, the, our staff needs to be paid a social care real living wage. Um, we pay our staff in uh, possibilities the, the real living wage, but supermarkets um, pay probably slightly more than that. Um, and every time, you know, the real living wage goes up year on year, supermarkets put their, their living wage up and we are losing staff um, to, 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 to go and work in supermarkets. And, you know, they're in tears. Some of the people say, some of our staff saying we don't want to go. We love our job, but you know, we 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 just need to be paid more. So I have wrote to Rishi and said, you know, we need a social care living wage. You need to look at the work that they do. Um, I haven't heard back from him yet, Jamie, Maybe if you send in this podcast, it might it um, might write back and. Um, and, and you know come and sort of uh, meet us and see the valuable work that, that, that staff do
1: let's hope he'll write back and let's hope he'll come and visit you and see the actual outcomes that you create for for people and the yeah real value in that it must be absolutely tr- feel tragic to you when you lose staff. it must be really upsetting for them um but who can blame them if they can go and get paid um a little bit more money elsewhere
0: in a less stressful environment, you know. I mean, my, we work um, three hundred and sixty-five days a year. Um, you know, people have to be supported twenty-four hours a day on social hours. So, yeah, you can't blame them to go and work somewhere where it's less stressful and more sort of family-friendly.
1: Indeed, indeed. Um, Rachel, you we talked earlier about how you've expanded from being a local provider to Rochdale to so working across the region and and in other regions as well. So. That is through bidding for contracts which are advertised in a normal way, or have you gone through any other processes?
0: Yeah, no, it's through competitive tendering, Jamie. Yeah. So um, we've we've um, we've have we've, we've won business through competitive tendering, which is is tough. You know, there's lots of providers out there, lots of really good providers out there, and you know we're all um, looking at you know looking at developing uh, our business and looking at new opportunities. And I, I do understand. As well, that a lot of um, providers have been handing back contracts because they can't make them work, um, which is is a is a tragedy, really. And um, you know, providers should be funded appropriately to be able to deliver um, good quality services. But yeah, ours has been through competitive tendering.
1: So in the flawed beauty parade that is competitive tendering and procurement, what are the USPs that uh, that possibility CIC talks about? um and brings to the party when it's kind of pitching uh, tendering for work with a local authority compared with potential other providers that a local authority could work with
0: yeah well we we really focus on uh, the partnership element that we want to work together to look at um delivering the best possible outcomes for uh, vulnerable adults we are um, a community interest company and all our profit is invested back into our services to make them better um we also um look at um you know promoting people's independence so we don't we don't necessarily um keep people in services we look at promoting their independence and looking at looking at moving people on so they lead a more uh, rich and fulfilled life um we we put um staff on um all staff on a, a range of different um training opportunities Um, looking at active support looking at community circles so everything that we do really is around um, looking at people's outcomes promoting independence promoting enablement it's not about keeping people in services and it's not about paid support it's looking at those people's networks and opportunities so people can live a life
1: great stuff Rachel, it's been a remarkable journey at Possibilities CIC and it must have been a remarkable journey for you. Tell us a little bit about how you came to be the person who led that spin out from the local authority in 2013 through to 2014. Tell us a little bit about your career um, that's led up to leading Possibilities CIC. Yeah, so I've um, I've done every
0: role. Um, when I work for the local authority, I've been... Yes. Um, every role um, in terms of um support worker frontline manager registered manager and um, head of service so i worked my way up really and um the beauty is it the beauty of that is I fully understand all the different roles I fully understand how services work and um and yeah when I was head of service as I mentioned I was just tired of making efficiencies and wanted to um deliver Fabulous services, and um, I was petrified of um, spinning it out. Um, but I knew that I would not let the staff and the the service users down. I knew that um, they took a leap of faith, and I was determined to make the the um, social enterprise a success. Failure just wasn't an option. Um, and. I remember um, coming into work on the 1st of April 2014 and everybody was so excited and everybody was cheering and stuff and I was just completely petrified because, um, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't a chief exec, I'd been head of service and I had to kind of learn as I, uh, the role as I went along and, I, and I'm one of those people that nothing's ever good enough either. I know if um, anybody that knows me knows that I suffer from um, imposter syndrome so I'm always challenging myself, and nothing's ever good enough. And I want to do the next thing, and I'll come with the better. So I think that drive and passion within me, which is painful as well, because you know um, that 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 feeling and belief that you're never good enough is is horrible as well. But yes. it all creates um, a passion and drive. So so I think um, that's that's really, and I've had a really good team around me. I've got um, some amazing staff, and you know we're we're very passionate. And that's what what's made the organisation a success.
1: Brilliant. And I'm sure lots of leaders will relate to that. And isn't it better to be led by people who absolutely care and are conscientious rather than people who sort of think they uh, know everything and want to wing it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Rachel, fascinating conversation. The services that you provide to vulnerable people, people with learning disabilities, people with dementia, young people leaving care, have expanded, have evolved, have developed. And you've been innovative. You've invested possibilities, own money into um, into bricks and mortar and into service development as well. What's next? What, what are your ambitions for 2023 and beyond?
0: So yeah, so we'd like we've got some money to invest um, again, so we'd like to build some more apartments. Um, so we're we'll, we'll we're in discussions with local authorities around that opportunity. Um, I'd also um, like to to look at developing um, another short break service. Um, it's important that families get a break to to enable them to sort of care for the family members longer. So I'm quite we're quite passionate in. Looking at developing another short rate service in a different area. And also our Shared Lives model um, is a fabulous model. Shared Lives, if people don't know, is um, a bit like fostering for adults. And we're looking at developing um, that model to um, support um, people potentially with um, um, mental health needs, um, dementia, and obviously um, discharge from hospitals. So that's quite exciting as well. And um, looking at um, the campaign for paying staff um, a, a fair wage for the work that they do. So that is my mission this year as well.
1: Brilliant. Well, all the best with the mission. Um- i'm sure that your determination and your ability to overcome barriers well documented over the <laughs> years will enable you to uh, to to achieve the goals that you've set out is there anything else that you want to say when it comes to the social enterprise difference in delivering
0: Public services. There's so much that I could say. I mean, it has been just an incredible, incredible journey from the first uh, of April, 2014, from spinning out, from being really frustrated when I worked for local authority, you know, and and feeling that I could have done so much more. But of course, they've got all the the efficiencies and and funding issues. You know, we are um, innovative. We are we are um, we we deliver services in a person-centred outcome-focused way and you know staff as well so that they come to us with ideas and we can we can implement them you know we have the ability to be able to implement them and staff feel really part of the organization and, and really engaged as family members do as well so it's been an incredible journey and if, if if there's any um, provider with a local authority that are looking at um, taking that leap of faith then I would urge them to do so because Whilst it's been a difficult journey, it's been it's been so worthwhile.
1: Brilliant! Well, what a fantastic story! What a fantastic description, Rachel. Where can people find Possibilities CIC if they want to look you up if they want to uh, get in touch?
0: Yeah, so we're we're, uh, www.possibilities.org.uk. That's our website, and you'll be able to contact us um, through there. So, so yeah, so please come and visit. You know, we've. um, We've got an urban farm at our head office. There's usually some random animals wandering through the building. And it's a fun place. It's important that uh, one of our values is about being happy. If you don't have happy staff, you don't have happy service users. So come and visit. It's a um, it's a lovely place.
1: I would love to. I'm going to cross the Pennines from Sheffield and come and uh, come and come and meet you. Come and take a look and come and meet um, people that you work with. Uh, Rachel Law, Chief Executive, Possibilities CIC. Thanks ever so much for joining us today.
0: Thanks, Jamie. Thank
1: you. This is the Vitalising Purpose podcast with me, Jamie Veach, and today's guest, Rachel Law, Chief Executive of Possibilities Community Interest Company. Rachel has contributed a chapter to the new book, Vitalising Purpose, The Power of the Social Enterprise Difference in Public Services. What's it all about? Well, we depend on public services for a functioning society, but there are record pressures on those services, Resources are stretched, demand is escalating, some services are even at risk of collapse. Traditional approaches are not delivering good outcomes, but we can't just despair at these challenges, we must do better. Vitalizing Purpose investigates how partnerships between public authorities and social enterprises can make a difference to how public services are provided and to people's lives. It's an inspiring, practical book, it's for you and for all custodians of local democracy. And you can get your free copy as an ebook download from e3m.org.uk or look up Vitalizing Purpose The Power of the Social Enterprise Difference in Public Services wherever you buy your books. Get your copy today to maximize social value, public benefit, and good outcomes for people and places when delivering public services. Thanks for listening.